0: Welcome to Standing at the Edge. I'm Casey Stratton. It is episode eight of season one of the new podcast. I am really just overwhelmed and my emotions are all over the map. It's like from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, I cycle through so many emotions. I know I am not the only one by any stretch. So much just, ooh, information. I just feel bombarded. I don't know about everyone else, but I feel bombarded completely 24-7. But it's the end of July, 2020. 2020 has been something. And I'm like, what? I don't understand I'm like this is the scariest time I've ever lived through even after everything I've talked about in the episodes like heart attacks and blah 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 I'm I keep I have these songs kind of like nudging around in my brain like I keep thinking that I need to write lines like weren't things hard enough (laughs) that's basically where I'm coming from at this point artistically and as a human being like was life not hard enough did we need to do all this because it seems a little extra to me. Anyway, um yeah, so much just still drama happening everywhere federal government turned against us in a lot of ways. I was just talking with Kim on Instagram about how we all thought like when Donald Trump won, like we were devastated and I remember just like crying and cuz I the results were coming in the night of the election and it just kind of kept getting worse but it was late and I had meetings all day and I had to go to bed so I woke up thinking okay there's no way and then I looked at my phone I remember in my bed I'm not usually that guy I, I have this thing about like I don't check my phone usually for a good 10, 15 minutes because I want the beginning of my day to be mine. I don't want it to belong to anyone else. So I don't want to see work texts or emails or anything like that because I need to like own my time. It's part of the boundaries I've created for myself. But that day I did pull like my, I took the phone right from the side of my bed and I was like, I have to, I have to know right now, like laying in bed, I have to know. And I saw that Trump had one and I was just like, "What? what? I think we all got really complacent in the fact that The polls looked like he wasn't going to win. I think a lot of people were really secretly racist and went to the ballot box and did something totally different than they were telling pollsters. And of course, we know there was Russian interference. There's all these things. I'm not going to get into all that. but We know it's a fact. We know it happened. We know it's happening again. I just read today that Russia is using three English language sites to spread misinformation about COVID-19. It's just like I I feel like I'm living in a movie. I feel like I can't believe this is happening here, where it's not supposed to happen. But the more the veil, you know, lifts, the more the curtain gets pulled back. The more you're like, of course, it's happening here. We got fed this like lie that this could never happen in America, but of course it can. It can happen anywhere, and we're a very young democracy. So it's just mind-blowing and I really hope that you're doing well or doing what you can. Again, I'm going to say this every week to find comfort where you can find it because we need that right now. I took my walk today. It was hot, but I enjoyed it. I just I listened to the new Taylor Swift album Folklore, which was probably like the sixth or seventh time, and I am not going to feel bad about it. It's not even a guilty pleasure. That record is good. If you like folk music, I mean, there's like, it harkens to like Dar Williams and Joni Mitchell and all these, like uh, Suzanne Vega, like all these people that I just love. And I think the collaboration with Aaron Dessner from The National and Jack Antonoff, who they always work together. And I usually like everything he does. Like the Love, Simon soundtrack, so good. And his band Bleachers love their music. So the collaborations, everything just kind of, it's like this perfect storm of just like this mellow record that's just like a perfect summer day. It's storytelling. It really is folk music. Like, it's maybe not like every song sounds like a folk song, but they are. And I worked with kids. So, all right, I'm just going to have this conversation. So I used to be like, Taylor Swift, come on, Although I did always understand that she at least was a writer, a songwriter, right? So that like she gets some points there for me, with, as far as pop stars or country stars or whatever. But I wasn't into it. I even when I was young, it was like if something was too trendy, I wasn't into it. Like I used to be like Harry Potter. I'm not. I don't care about that. It's so trendy. And then I watched the movies. and I was like, oh my god, of course. I was the kid who's casting spells on people when we played house course i love harry potter it's like my childhood dream anyway i worked with kids so of course when we had free time what did they want to listen to i knew you were trouble when you walked in or whatever so i started hearing trouble and i was like okay this is an earworm and then when 1989 came out i was like okay i'm here for this and i bought 1989 actually and i know every song every word i can sing that whole record for you i do not feel ashamed she knocked it out with 1989 as far as like a perfect pop record like if i had been 10 that would have been in my walkman like 24 seven. so it really harkened back to like a nostalgia of my childhood and pop music and so this record folklore also feels super nostalgic to me and there's just a lot of musicality the way that the piano parts have what's called chord inversions which i won't get super nerdy about it but like the piano parts are just like yes that's what i wanted you to do i love when music like my favorite composers and songwriters it's like you're listening And you're like yes that's so satisfying you did what I wanted you to do and that's what I try to do as a songwriter too because like the music will tell you what it wants if you're like really kind of interfacing with the muse or whatever you want to call it and I'm not quite that like spiritual like crystal about it but I do think that songwriting is a very spiritual thing and I don't know where that inspiration comes from but it is kind of magical there's something otherworldly about it like when you're in that zone it's like I'm driving the car but I'm not really like it's that feeling like when you have that like hypnagogic state where you realize you drove from work to home but you weren't paying any attention so like I think when you are really in the zone like you can make these songs that just kind of seem to have come from nowhere of course there's there's a lot of work involved I'm not going to make it completely this, like this, this mystical thing because the mystical thing doesn't make me know that I can go from A minor to an F chord to a G chord to a C chord right I had to learn that so anyway the musicality on that record so good like I'm recommending it highly even if you think you don't like Taylor Swift try it out It's super good. Like, I'm into it. I love it. I haven't listened to a record this often, like, day by day by day in a long, long time. Not gonna lie. Anyway, this week's episode is gonna be part two of three of my conversation with my husband, Kurt stratton Lindsay. So without further ado, let's dig it. I wanna go back, if you're willing to talk about something, cause I wanted to touch on this and that we don't have a ton of time left for as long as my podcasts are, but I wanna to talk to you about the issue, like the delicate nature of being multiracial black and white in the United States because so many people, and I know you've experienced this, it's like you're not black enough for black people and you're not white enough for white
1: people. So if, I'm hoping that you'll talk a little bit about that. Yes, I did mean to, but Mm -hmm. we kept going on about other things. Right. No, that's why I wanted to circle back, because I wanted to have that conversation. Yeah. So that has been my experience pretty much my entire life up until, I mean, now, because I still experience it. Um, I guess it it hasn't necessarily been overt, like we were talking about earlier. Um, And I wouldn't say it, 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 it has been more like, I guess, microaggressiony type of stuff. You know, white people saying, like, oh, well, you're not, like, black, black, which we all know what that means. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then black people saying, like, you didn't grow up black, so you're not black. Like, I... And it, it, it's hurtful, because I'm like, well, just because I didn't have a black family doesn't mean I'm not black. And it's also hurtful from white people, because I'm like black is black is black is black to paraphrase Gertrude Stein Um, like what you consider what someone else considers to be black or white or whatever doesn't change my identity right so that was it in some ways I still do struggle with it Um, and I guess I haven't I've only had like one experience where it was like overtly thrown into my face. And you already know about this, Mm -hmm. so I'll try to like be, give a brief explanation. Um, At work one time, there was this um, woman, a black woman who like earlier in the day, as an entire staff, we had been talking about different uh, issues surrounding black people. And at some point, like I had spoken up and said like, oh, well, you know, you're not the only black people like on staff. Because it was literally just like her and one other person saying everything and not allowing others to give any um, input. And later on in the day, like she came and, I think tried to apologize, but we ended up not coming to any kind of conclusion um, because I had explained to her like, this is something that I have always dealt with that, I don't get included in these types of conversations because people don't see me as being black enough, um, or just black at all, honestly. So, and that's how it felt in that moment. And that's what I was, I was trying to express to her. And I, she said, well, now you just sound like you're projecting. And like, that was, it was really hurtful because I was like, I thought we could have this connection because, like, she had also talked. Like, she was, she is a like a lighter skinned black woman, and whatnot. So, I don't. I won't get into colorism right now, but there's a whole there's tons of stuff around that, being you know light skin versus dark skin. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I'm very light skinned, very like, to the point where I could pa- easily pass as white as a white person with just a tan unless you really look at my features, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought we would be able to have like that, that camaraderie, but she just wasn't hearing it. Like she couldn't understand like where I was coming from, which I, is understandable because obviously we had different experiences and whatnot, but I, thought, I guess I thought wrong, (laughs) that, you know, being Black people, like, we should be together, like, sticking up for each other and wanting to share each other's experiences so, you know, other people don't have to go through things that we've gone through. And yet, here she was doing the exact thing to me that... You know so many white people have done to me before so it was very hurtful in that moment like I ended up having to leave work for the day because never. I couldn't like keep it together like I had never I'd never experienced like such a like visceral reaction to me sharing like my blackness with someone so it was it was very hurtful it still is. Yeah, I remember.
0: Humans in general lately will always, but especially now, I think one. it's almost like the double-edged sword of having so much language is that now people are telling other people how you identify is not how I'm choosing to let you identify. I've decided for you that you're this other thing or I've decided that my experience is more important than yours and just not, especially white people with black people's experiences saying, oh, I'm sure you took it the wrong way. That probably wasn't racist. I certainly would, if you're saying I said something, I'm, everyone who knows me knows that I'm not a ra- I don't have a racist bone in my body. We all have lots but of racist bones in our bodies. Gets followed by a butt. Right. So, yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, it does go both ways, especially when we're dealing with people who, again, are experiencing multiple ethnicity identities not experiencing, but living that, I mean, that is who you are. So I, that tug of war and push and pull takes a toll 100%. And
1: I, I will say I'm thankful because that experience Like I had shared it with some coworkers, like I'm in management where I work. And like, I had shared that experience with a couple other managers because I thought it was important to talk about. So they knew why one, I was leaving the office for the day because I just couldn't keep it together. Um, But, like, since then, they have also done a really great job of trying to, like, lift my voice up, like, in situations where in the past, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to speak out. They make sure that I do have that opportunity. So I appreciate, like, something good did come out of that. It does suck that that, like, crappy thing had to happen for me to feel and have the space to express my thoughts and feelings, but I we're all growing, and...
0: Mm-hmm. But that's, like, that point to what you're saying is so important that other people are making sure that your voice is in the mix, because we talked about this, and then actually, I remember talking to my partner at work at the time, Gene, who's a dark skinned black man, but grew up in a white neighborhood. So he totally empathized with the situation because he was always told that he was too white acting or the way he spoke, all these things. So we talked about this at the time, but like, because you've always kind of been stuck in this like ping pong ball of being like, not white enough and not black enough. Nobody ever taught you to have the efficacy to say, my voice matters too. If it's a white issue, I can speak to that. If it's a black issue, I can speak to that. So you're put in this impossible situation of being told you don't belong on either side of this, and now there's a conversation going on, and are you gonna have like the capacity to be like, no, I need to be part of this conversation, no. Because so often you were just told, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're not. So the fact that other people are making sure that happens, like that's how true equity is reached. Saying like, this voice is not being heard and we need to make sure it is. And like go out of your way to decenter yourself mm-hmm. and make sure this other person is talking because all of our experiences matter and our opinions and our input.
1: So I think that's great that that was the ultimate result even if it was kind of
0: like a pain point at the time.
1: And I mean, the other, I guess, like good thing about it is like, it's it's two other managers. They're both white, but they do go out of their way. Like when we're having a conversation that does deal with uh, like racial issues and things like that because of just, it's the work that we do, um, they do go out of their way to make sure that I am, like my opinion does get heard. So I, I am very appreciative of that. And I myself, like I have also learned since then to put like sometimes I have to force my voice to be heard Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's okay um it's just like one of those things I have I'm working on just because I've spent so long feeling like I couldn't I didn't have a voice and then to be told outright like that I was wrong in the way like I was thinking by another black person like kind of like it did reinforce, you know, all the the stuff that had been told to me before, but I've, you know, I'm moving on from that because that was only, it was a little more than a year ago, Mm -hmm. but it's still, you know, scars get left and so on and so forth, but. It's a process. Yeah, it is a process.
0: All right, we're gonna take a break because I can already tell this is gonna have to be a part one, part two situation because people had lots of questions and we haven't even turned to that part. We've just still been on identity, which is great, because that's my whole theme overarching. But people want to talk about you and me and the crazy tornado of how everything has played out and what that was like for you, because I've spent a lot of time talking about what that was like Mm -hmm. for me. So we're gonna take a break, because I need another drink, and then we'll come back. Popcorn, right, we're here for it. Show you the receipts. Okay, we're back first I just want to thank you for having the conversation it's not it's almost I don't know more awkward to be like doing like a quote unquote interview with my husband than like a friend or a stranger um, but I just want to thank you for sharing all those things and being willing to talk about it obviously I'm much more usually used to that kind of thing than you so I appreciate it yeah
1: Um.
0: alright so I've told the story throughout the episodes of how we met And all the craziness, the fact that I was in the hospital like a week after we met and you weren't sure how to even handle it and like texting me saying, I honestly, I don't know how to react or how to feel or what to do. So I also told the story of how we met on one of the apps and how you canceled our first date. So I'm interested to hear your perspective on how that all played out. So we're just going to talk about how we almost met and didn't and then when we actually
1: did. Okay, so... Yeah, I don't remember who messaged who first or whatever exactly, but, you know, we were chatting for... I'm sure it was for, me, because I was being purposefully out there. Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, we were chatting for, like, maybe a day or two and had decided, okay, we're, we're gonna go on this date. At the time, I was living with Three other guys, um, and it was just a not ideal living situation. I thought it was going to be like one thing it like, I don't know, like. I we we'd all get along and it would just be like fun and we whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was just that was not the case. Um, I did not like it at all. So I was like dealing with. What am I gonna do? I like, I'm in this lease. I don't like my roommates. How, like, what can I do? Because this is not a good situation for me. Um, So I ended up canceling our date. I think it was like the day of. It was an hour before. Okay, it was an hour. An hour before we were gonna meet because I was
0: so disappointed. You know this. I do know this because I thought you were so cute, I and I am thought our so rapport was good. Yes, I knew. I I feel like I knew even then because, like, I told the story in my podcast. I was so nervous for our day, and I was not like that for other dates. My co-workers were like, "We have never seen you so nervous." I could not focus. I couldn't concentrate. I was fidgeting. It was a rough day. So I, I was looking that forward to it. On people, yes, you do. I was so looking forward
1: to it. And then like an hour before, I was like, no! Yeah. Which I... I did apologize, listeners. Oh, I told the story. I was (laughs) was like, by the
0: time we circled back with one another, I had had dealt with so much worse than that. Because you were only the second person I was going to go on a date with when I started putting myself out there actively.
1: Then you became like the 15th by the time, actually. (laughs) So, yeah, I canceled because I just... I was like, I can't handle like trying to date and like my living situation and all of this like at the same time I have to figure this out. So then three months go by and you basically disappeared from the apps I did I completely disappeared because I and I was still living with like those roommates especially because I just I didn't know what else to do at the time. Um, like, I was not making, I mean, I was making fine money, but not enough to, like, that was the whole point of moving it with three other people so I could, like, save money. So I was like, ugh, what am I going to do? But then, like, I, like, met a new friend. He had an opening, well, he owned his house, had a, like, room and whatnot that he was renting out, and basically he kicked the one person out because he hated that, his like, his current renter at the time so I could move in with him um so and that was the plan which that did happen yep and in right after I mean, no that was well it was the plan was, I was set helping. right before I, we actually reconnected mm-hmm. so after like we had created the plan because we were gonna I was gonna move in I think it was at the end of July End of June. End of June. Because I helped you. The first weekend. We were together. Right. Yeah. So it was at the end of June when I was going to move in with them. Um, which I famously did told end the, up happening. Right. Which I famously told the story about how you slept there maybe three times. Right. <laughs> um, we were, oh, and in so after the plan was like set and everything, that's when I was on. I had decided. Okay, I'm gonna. Like get back on the apps, maybe I can like, like my life is kind of like settling down. I can figure stuff out, and I saw your picture, and I was like, oh, he's cute. Let me. I don't. I think I like tapped you or whatever it is to like be like, hey, wink, wink, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like you would message me, but before like we actually started talking again, I was like, why is he look so familiar? Why is he so familiar? So I got back on the other app that we had first started talking on to like go back like, and look at my conversations and like stuff to see if like a big, oh my gosh, this is Casey. We talked before and I really liked him. So, and that's when I was like, oh, and I also canceled that date like an hour before we were supposed to date. <laughs> I felt really bad, so I apologize because that is it, it that's not something that I had ever I'd, I'd ever done before I'm not like stand you up type of person like either
0: but see that was where I was like you didn't stand me up at least you canceled.
1: Right. By then, I had
0: been stood up twice. I had been ghosted. I had had a terrible, awful date, which I'm going to talk about in another podcast. Where that guy (laughs) fell over his coffee table because he got so drunk, and it was like five o'clock. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, I had because I'm at least a nice person. (laughs) Like it's five o'clock, and I just had to put this drunk guy to sleep. So I'm at least going to let his dogs go pee before I leave because they're going to be inside for a long time. Anyway, (laughs) anyway,
1: he could do an entire podcast series about the people that he has dated except for me right. i mean we could have our own podcast series we could. but Maybe let me we tell don't. you there have been some mm-hmm. some real winners mm-hmm. anyway um yeah we apologize. i said i no, apologized deal. and then we had both we had set our date i think it was sunday was when we were talking but yes. then everybody knows this part. We okay. We set a date for yeah.
0: Wednesday, but then we moved to texting. Which I was like, that's a big deal for those of you who've been on the apps. You know what it's like when mm-hmm. you move from the apps to texting. Mm-hmm. Now I have your actual cell phone number, and we um, Monday morning we're like, oh, I wish I could actually see you now. And it was like, oh, well, neither of us are working, so we did. Yeah. So I told the story about how we met at a restaurant for lunch, mm-hmm. and that I knew right away when I saw you. Mm-hmm.
1: And we hugged. hmm What was that like for you? Very simple. <laughs> so when you first walked in, mm-hmm. I, I remember thinking like, oh, he's a hipster.
0: What? Because,
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me paint this picture, which now that I obviously like, I know you like, you're not a hipster at all. However, hipsters dress similar, similarly to how you dress sometimes.
0: Yeah, because they're young and trying to be cool like me. Anyhow,
1: if you could see my face, (laughs) um, so like you had on pretty much it was all black like black t shirt, black shorts. You had I think it was your socks. I want to say they were like black and white striped socks, probably, and black shoes. You had your man bag, which was also black, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know, like you like with your haircut and everything, I was like. Hipster, I'm okay with that. Um, but yeah, and then we hugged. And like when, really for me, it was like when we actually started talking and it was just so easy. hmm Like I, there were, everything was just very natural. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like a date. No. Felt like we already knew each other. We were just talking and I just, I felt so comfortable just to be myself. Whereas, like, anyone else that I had ever dated, it, like, I felt like I had to put on a bit of a show, like, you know, for those first couple dates, and then it's like, you let pieces of, like, the real you show, but I feel like I was really just myself from day one, and then we literally spent the rest of the day together,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and... 12 hours. Yeah. We had a couple breaks
0: in there, but... You had to go to something. Yeah, I think I don't remember what I had to do. You got that group that used to be part of. Oh anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and then like I had to, I don't know, something. But I told you to come back, and you mm-hmm. did. And I was, and now I've, <laughs> we've talked about this, but now that I know you as well as I do, I'm like, oh, you did like me because you would be, I'm out of here. How yeah. quickly can I go home? You do the and same thing. Of, oh, I know, I do. <laughs> Oh, I know. That was the other thing that, like, with us, I never thought that would happen to me again, because I was totally comfortable with you being in my house. Mm-hmm. And the person I had dated for like six months a year before, he had come over once. I mean, he was super allergic to cats, way worse than you, and your allergy is pretty much gone. But I couldn't. Sometimes I couldn't wait for like I'd be kind of like, when do I? When can I go home? We'd be hanging out, and I'd be like, when do I? When can I go home and be alone? And I was so like owning my space or just I don't know I didn't I hardly ever have anybody over we know this we hardly ever have anybody over I'm very protective of my personal space I'd rather go to somebody else's house I would say like even if I end up in a relationship I don't know how I could ever live with somebody ever again but with you from day one it was like super easy to be together and to have you here and of course the reason you spent the night here most of the time is because you had a roommate and I didn't I lived by myself so it we had more privacy we could do whatever we wanted So it it completely surprised me because I was like, I'll never, ever be able to live with someone again. And now I feel like it's really easy, but it was always easy. Mm -hmm. If anything, it's, it gets harder just because we've been together longer, but not really, I wouldn't even say that. It's just, Mm. there's more water under the bridge for any two people,
1: but I was super comfortable with you being here like right away from day one. And I was very comfortable being here. I mean, I can, I remember like very specifically, it, you know, it'd be like late and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to like go home. And like, no, you should just stay. It's like, should I? And I always ended up staying, but... Yes, which is just, again, weird for me. Usually I'd be like, bye,
0: okay, bye, yeah, see I just
1: wanted to point out that it was you, usually, who would be like, no, just stay, I don't want you to go. Okay, but also it's because usually we would have had some drinks. So a lot
0: of time my motivation food, was like, food. "You, I know it's not far away, because you literally lived like two minutes away from me. But I was like, eh, you probably shouldn't drive. Although I wanted you to stay, too. But mm. a lot of it was practical. My grandparents were killed... By a drunk driver, so I'm very strict about yes. that kind of thing. Anyhow, yes. So, yeah, we got together, and then a week later, you became privy to how dramatic my life was,
1: because it was, mm-hmm. and some and still is. So you you did tell me about, like, heart attacks. I told you right away. I always everything. Every
0: day I tried to get that out of the way as soon as possible, because if someone was going to run 100 miles the other direction, <laughs> I needed to know right away, because mm-hmm. I knew I had some issues, and that had only happened like six months earlier,
1: so mm-hmm. I was very so, clear. So, yeah, a week later, I'm out on a boat, a boat. Yep, I with you. my then-roommate, who was never quite my roommate, um, and I get a text message saying that you're going into the hospital, like there's something going on with your heart, and I was like, um... I mean, I'm. I'm pretty sure I took like a few minutes to respond because I just really didn't know what to do. Say I just wasn't even sure what to think because mm-hmm. um, I was like, I know I. I knew I really liked you, and I wanted to be there for you. But I was like, we've known each other for a week. Like, is that we like? What do we? What do I? What do we do? Like, <laughs> this is a, this is a really weird situation. But I was pretty much resolved, like, okay, as soon as we get back into doc, like, I'm going to the hospital. Like, I, regardless of how long, like, we had known each other, like, if you're gonna die, I wanna see you. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> see, and I didn't I
1: wouldn't even have thought that. Like, that that was your experience. Right, that, that every single time you've been in the hospital, that has been my experience. Um, yeah, I was like, I I just know that I really like this guy. And even though we've, I've only known him for a week, I like we have something. So if I'm not going to get to see him again, I like I need to I need to be there. So I did. I I was in like board shorts and like this. The cut red, off like shirt thing and yeah. boots looking a hot mess because I had literally just gotten off of a boat I didn't go home and change or anything and then you get there my mom is yeah. there <laughs> and then I get to meet your mom which now you know is not okay. and your best friend um, oh, and yeah. I was like oh my god I can't believe I'm meeting like two of the most important people in his life and I look like shit um I literally thought that because why wouldn't I? Right, and now you know that nobody's Yeah, It was fine. But yeah, I mean, I'm very glad that I went, but yeah.
0: And I'm sure they didn't know what to think either because that's just not how I am. For me to have a guy I've been dating for a week come to the hospital, my mom and my best friend Holly were probably like, what? Because I'm way more guarded than that normally with people I don't know very well. But I felt, again, like I felt like I knew you really well from day one. It just felt... Now, in retrospect, it seems kind of insane, but at the time, it felt very natural. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted you to be there because I had already kind of grown to count on you for support, I guess. And it was a scary thing. So I, having you there was comforting, and it was the first time ever that anybody had spent the night with me. Usually, everybody would go home, and I'd be alone. And I didn't want you to be alone, which I was fine with, but it was definitely more comforting to have you there. And that was really, I told I said in another podcast, like that was where I really knew, like this is a keeper because he slept in a chair, was super uncomfortable, and then you'd just sleep on that crazy kind of couch looking thing. And it wasn't great. But you did that for me. And it was so early in our relationship, that I was like, okay, this is something for sure. As we know, the very next day, I told you I loved you on the 4th of July. Yes, fireworks going off and mm-hmm. outside. But I knew like that experience I was like again like same, similar to how you were thinking I was like I don't know if I'm a drop dead tomorrow or what so if I'm feeling this thing I need to just say it. But the interesting thing is that I've talked about this before the only other relationship I ever had that even got close to my connection with you was my relationship in from 1999 to 2002 and We also said, I love you, like, a week in. It's the only other time that's ever happened to me. And the relationships are very similar in a lot of ways. Like, as as far as, like, the depth of feeling, that relationship didn't work because we were too volatile, like, all the time. The drama was constant instead of us where it's very rare that we have a lot of drama with each other. So it was interesting because I talked about this before, like, I... I thought I was just older and that just wasn't gonna happen to me again. I thought that kind of depth of connection was for young people. Like loving someone that much is for young youth, whatever. And now I've seen that's not true, but I had kind of mourned that. Like I remember I went to see Call Me By Your Name by myself at, in the movie theater. And when I left, I just sat in my car in the parking lot and cried for like a half hour. Cause I was like, it's never gonna happen to me again. Like they were young and in love. And I'm just never gonna experience that again. And then I did, like very soon after, with you, but I I didn't see that ever happening to me again. So when it did, I was kinda surprised, but I wasn't, because I kept going back to that day at work where everyone's like, Why are you so nervous? I'm like, I don't know. There's something about this guy, like I'm super like intrigued to see what's gonna happen because we had great text stuff, like our messaging was great. And he's super cute, which never hurts. It's not a prerequisite, but like, I was like, all right. So when we did connect the way we did, it almost didn't surprise me because I had this like weird feeling from day one before we even actually met in person months before. So anyway, that happened. Then literally like three weeks later, I had another surgery Mm -hmm. to deal with my completely blocked artery.
1: That was nerve wracking how so I mean obviously but well because if one tiny little thing went wrong well, there you go although the survival rate is 99% although here we are in COVID-19 I would say okay who's the 1% could have been me and like I I was super hopeful like we were all very hopeful because like we trusted your surgeon like it, it wasn't like oh my god he's got this huge chance of dying it was I mean it's Heart surgery, so of course it's nerve Every time.
0: But the, for me, that was my fourth one by then. So I was a little more...
1: And the first one that I had been there for.
0: Well, no, wasn't
1: it the second? No, nope, that was the first
0: one. No, I had one on the third, but I think you came to the hospital after I had already had it. Right. So you didn't live through it no. in the waiting room. Right. By the time you got there, because you were on the lake, right. I had already had it. So yeah, so that was my third one on July 3rd and then July 25th. They went in to, and as I said before in the podcast, I had five more stents put in, and I put the photo up from the difference between my artery. Anyway, I can imagine that must have been quite nerve wracking. That was, was your first time again. Like even though, and I had gone out to a bar. <laughs> Remember that? That was the World Cup. Mm. So mm-hmm. even though I thought this is nuts that I'm doing this, I went out with Peng, my good friend. And we went, I didn't drink, because I was going to have surgery, but we went to the bar to watch the World Cup before my surgery, and I was like, I can't believe that in, like, seven months' time, eight months' time, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, eh, I'm having (laughs) surgery this afternoon, but I'm going to watch the Mm -hmm. game beforehand.
1: (laughs) Anyway. Well, yeah, like, for that one, again, because it was the first time that I had been there for the surgery, like... I got you know I was there when the sur- the surgeon was explaining what he's going to do, how he's going to do it, and, like all these things and I was like oh 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's intense. It was. And I mean sure I've had my own surgeries, but this it, I've never had heart surgery like so that it's different.
0: Yeah. It's complicated.
1: Um So And I just remember being, like, in the waiting room while you're doing the surgery and, like, talking to Holly. And I'm like, you know, I can't believe that the universe would bring us together and have us be, like, such... Like, work so well together just for it to end now. And obviously I was right, but, like, that was just what I kept having to, like, tell myself to... Like not be too afraid Sure. in the moment. Yeah. And then the surgeon came out, because he, he told us, you know, like, the time frame, and he came out early, like, super early, and we I was like, oh my god. He died. Like, that's... Honestly, that, that was my first thought. No,
0: that's a logical conclusion, because the surgery I was having for everyone to know is quite often unsuccessful like they can't because it's totally blocked very often they can't get through my stepdad has had that same surgery two or three times and they've never been able he has the same exact blockage as me they've never been able to fix it somehow they got they were like okay we got through because they do this thing like the mind sweeper and labyrinth where it's like a turning like a spinning thing. and it's they, kind of like they a get a Yeah, they get it in your artery like a drill and it starts turning and sometimes the blockage won't clear. Also, you have to make sure that you don't send the blockage into the body and then you die because you have cardiac arrest or because the, the blockage goes flying or it ruptures. There's lots of things that can go wrong. Your arteries are very like tenuous. There's like a lot of things happening. So... They were like, okay, well, we started drilling in there, and we got one stent in, and then we just kept going, we got another stent in, and we kept going, kept going, kept going. Five stents. Very, very rare to get five stents in one surgery, and they had told you guys that it would probably be about two hours, right. and then they came out, and they had done all of that in 45, 45 minutes or
1: minutes, which is super rare. So, of so course, my first thought is, oh my he God, something went wrong, and he's dead, but obviously that's not the case i just i yeah (laughs) that was not a fun like half a second because i mean it really didn't take long for him to say like everything was great but like that half a second feels like an eternity in that moment but they basically just rebuilt him an entire new artery Mm -hmm. the before and after picture is ridiculously amazing Yeah, it's crazy. We have it hanging on our wall. We do. And my whole life changed. I
0: could breathe again. I could run. I could go upstairs. I mean, stairs are still hard for me. That's the hardest. But, like, it it was way harder before that. Because your right coronary artery supplies blood to your lungs. So my collateral arteries were dealing with all of my lung function. So when all of a sudden my actual artery, instead of these tiny little collateral ones, they're tiny, tiny, tiny. Once it was open again, like, I felt so much better after that although that was the surgery where the recovery was awful because they went through both sides of my groin right. and everything I mean everything was purple and then I got what was that called? Hematomas Hematomas where I had these giant bubbles of blood like in my body it was so insane I will not ever forget that recovery because it was so awful
1: and you were great yeah, Everything was bruised. Yeah, I was and, in a lot of like, pain. Super badly bruised, mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah, purple. I mean, bowl. like eggplant looking. Yeah, it was not good.
0: Oof. I don't, because they have to, to do that kind of surgery, they have to use a larger, like, insertion thing into your groin. And instead of just one side, like my other surgeries, or through my wrist. They have to go through both sides because they have to have a fail-safe because they don't know if you have a total occlusion, total blockage, will the lower part of your artery be the way they get in or the upper part. So they have to go through both sides. So they're getting into your artery from both sides. Mm-hmm. It was nuts. And I don't ever want to do that again because that was by far the worst one. Not nearly as bad as the neck surgery, which was my neck surgery, my spinal fusion which was a total nightmare for a long
1: time. For vastly different reasons. (laughs) Right. (laughs)
0: Next week. The third part of the interview, we will pick up where that spinal surgery happened. You guys know the story, but of course, this is a way of hearing Kurt's perspective, and we're just kind of talking it through. You can tell even by the way that we get, especially me, get so animated. We've been through a lot, and it was an interesting conversation to just kind of sit with just the two of us and talk it out. We sometimes bring up certain moments and things, but it's not normal that we would have that long of a conversation to talk about all of it and everything that's happening. But as you can see, he's super supportive and a great partner, and I love him very much. So next week we will hear the rest of that. Stay calm if you can. If you can't, do what you gotta do. Get through those emotions. The only way out is through. Stay safe, find comfort where you can, and I will see you next week.